Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Sit back and enjoy the stroke play of Meg Lanning. This is excellent batting by Ash Gardner. Jonathan strikes again. She's on a hat-trick. She comes at Molyneux. Catch is taken by Perry. The Australian women's cricket team win their fifth T20 World Cup title in front of a magical crowd at the MCG. Welcome to the second episode of The Scoop, the cricket podcast dedicated to the women's game. We are your hosts. I'm Emily Collin. I'm Laura Jolly. And we've got a bumper episode lined up for you today. So we'll have Elisa Healy joining us a bit later on in the show, fresh off the Aussies T20 series win. And we've also got former Aussie leg spinner turned ABC commentator Kristen Beams coming on the show to help us look ahead to the Rose Bowl series. And it's great to be back today because we've got plenty to talk about after a week of enjoying having cricket back on our screens. LJ, what was your highlight of the T20s? I think for me it was seeing the way the team stood behind Ash Gardner coming to the first T20. They formed the barefoot circle with the New Zealand players to connect country and to take a real stand against racism and Indigenous deaths in custody. That's all been led by, by Ash and leaders in the team like Ray Chains and Meg Lanning. So with all that in mind, it was really fitting to then see Ash come out and dominate the series with the bat, um, be named player of the series, scoring that wonderful 61 in the first T20 and top scoring again in the third match in a, a tough batting innings for Australia. I think she showed a lot of maturity and really looked comfortable in that number five position. How about you, Em? What was yours? I really enjoyed seeing former White Ferns captain Amy Satterthwaite return to the field for the first time after giving birth to little baby Grace alongside her partner, Leah Tohuhu. Not only was it Amy's return to the field after giving birth, it was also in her 100th T20 international for the White Ferns. So a remarkable achievement for a wonderful um, player for the White Ferns for a long time. And yeah, I thought that was just great for the game and great to see Amy return to form. Let's jump straight into the power play, which is our new segment of the week. So we're going to wrap up all the action and talking points from the T20s, starting with Australia's 10th T20 series win in a row. It's just incredible. And they didn't sweep it, but just winning 10 T20 series on the row when you think that coming into that, they had that, I think, almost three-year period where they couldn't win a T20 series. And um, it was a, an issue for the team. And they've turned things around now. They've won six bilateral series two tri-series and two World Cups, which for the a fickle format like T20 and considering a lot of those series wins have been against teams like India and England, 
um, it's just incredible. But New Zealand broke the streak at the end. So after 13 consecutive losses to Australia, they finally broke through on Wednesday to snag a five-wicket win against the Aussies. Uh, that was largely thanks to an impressive all-round contribution from teenager Amelia Kerr. But it was an impressive showing all up from the Aussies in their return to international cricket, don't you think, LJ? Yeah, I was really impressed with Ash Gardner, um, as I mentioned earlier. I think that for someone who's shown what she can do so often at WBBL level, scoring you know incredible centuries, we haven't quite seen that from her at international level on a regular basis. But I think there were really good signs in the series that it wasn't just her coming out and having a, a bit of a crash bang innings. She played with a lot of maturity in that first knock in the first T20. She really read the game situation well. She built a good partnership. So I think that's really good signs for her that um, she's really growing into the role she can play in the middle order for Australia. We saw a lot from the spinners too, didn't we, Definitely. Um, pace off the ball seemed to work well for the Aussies. Uh, the spinners had a lot of luck at AB Field. We saw in particular Georgia Wareham. She took five wickets across the series. Um, her efforts in the second game were particularly impressive. She finished with three for 26 from her four overs. And there was some awesome fielding from the Wolf in there as well. I think there was one throw in from the boundary that rocketed straight to Elisa Healy's gloves to run out Maddie Green. And yeah, Amij was another one who we'll chat to later, who was always in the action and got another record to her name. Yeah, she was um, pretty eager to talk this one down and said she just focuses on the catches she misses. But she broke Emma Stoney's record for most international T20 dismissals by a wicketkeeper, which I think did doing it in just one more game than he played at that level. So it's very on par. Um, and I think her glove work in this series was incredible. Um, very few chances missed flawless, whether it be the runouts coming in from the deep or a couple of really great catches she took, a few stumpings. So it's awesome to see Midge up and about. She reckons she didn't put in a heap of uh, preparation with her keeping from this series. I think she said slim to none, but I think that's just Midge talking herself down a bit. But um, it wasn't all good news for the Australians. It wasn't um, with a bit of disappointing injury news. No. So unfortunately we saw that uh, Elise Perry, Meg Lanning confirmed that Elise Perry would be playing no further part in the Australia versus New Zealand series. So she'd been trying to stage a bit of a miracle comeback for that last T20, but it wasn't to be as she suffered another strain and another part of her hamstring. So we won't see Pez in the ODIs, unfortunately, but fingers crossed we'll see her back for the WBBL playing a role for the Sydney Sixers. Yeah, it looked like she was still managing to bowl and bat um, at training after being ruled out. So it must have been really borderline with that decision. And I think we did have the WBBL schedule announced last week. So she knows exactly what she's trying to get back for. October 25, North Sydney Oval, big Sydney smash to kick off the action. Uh, And it was just awesome to see a full 59-game schedule announced, five different Sydney venues, all eight teams based in a hub out at North Sydney, which I think will be pretty fun, Naeem. It's going to be a unique WBBL, that's for sure. Alrighty, now for the best bit of the show, we're lucky enough to be joined today by Elisa Healy, who is joining us from Brisbane, fresh off the Aussies T20 series win. Mitch, welcome to The Scoop. Thanks for having me. I feel flattered that it's the second ever episode and you're having me on already. Couldn't have you on soon enough. <laughs> First up, um, um, we just want to bring up something that happened during the third T20. Um, Molly Strano made some pretty strong accusations on Fox's coverage concerning you and the New South Wales girls stealing chocolate from the Victorians. Have you got any official statement you'd like to make to that? 
Uh, I've actually I've been preparing my official statement for um, the blast, but I can give you the inside scoop here in that um, accusations were false. Um, us on level 27 have been pretty poorly looked after throughout this whole quarantine. Disclaimer, we've been really well looked after. The hotel's done amazing things and we're pretty lucky to be here, but poor level 27 has been left out of everything, especially during quarantine. Uh, unbeknownst to us, there were lies being told um, from level 26, which include all, included all the Victorians during quarantine, that they had a full kitchen, a full fridge, a full freezer. They had everything at their disposal and blatantly lied to us and didn't tell us about any of this. So little floor 27, with our trestle table and microwave on it was our kitchen. We didn't have a kitchen. Um, so look, they have no grounds to stand on. Molly has absolutely no ground, no legs to stand on uh, with her comments because it's just a blatant lie. And um, lo and behold, as soon as quarantine had finished level 26, uh, the hotel beautifully of them put on a heap of balloons and a congratulations on finishing quarantine put a whole heap of chocolate on there. Obviously Cadbury's come on board. So all of that chocolate, guess where it went? Level 26 um, and level 27, absolutely nothing in sight for us. So look, it's uh, it's no no wonder that we've had to walk down the stairs and go and take some Cadbury um, just because we, need, we feel like we need it here. Fair enough, righting a wrong. And on that, is there anyone in the team that you are getting a bit fed up with in such close quarters in quarantine and in the bubble life? <laughs> Uh, uh, no, unlike Molly, I'm actually, I'm going pretty well with everyone. Uh, I won't stitch anybody up, uh, on this, but, uh, no, actually I've, I've probably kept to myself quite a lot. And, and now that we can go outside and get coffee, uh, you see a few more people going out in groups and doing that, but, uh, level 26 have definitely kept to themselves throughout this whole period. Even at post quarantine, we haven't seen a lot of them. Um, that includes all of the Victorians. So, um, yeah, look, they're not getting on my nerves, but we haven't seen a lot of them, that's for sure. And um, I guess you've probably spent more time up close with these players than you would even on a normal tour. Have you uncovered any interesting habits or facts about any of your teammates during this time? Um, nothing new. I think we we already know a fair bit about one another. Um, we've sort of toured together. It's been the same sort of core group for a long period of time. So nothing new and unusual. I think... The salon um, situation that's going on downstairs is a little surprising. Uh, I mean, I thought it was going to happen at some stage, um, seeing as we're going to be living hub life for the summer. Uh, but to see it come out so early and so many members to go in there and get their hair cut um, is quite cool. So the many hidden talents of Sophie Molyneux, I suppose. Are you keen to get a haircut? I'm going to wait and uh, go to my normal hairdresser who gives me a glass of wine when I go in there. So I'm, I'm just booking in for when I get home. <laughs> That's fair enough. And after the longest pre-season ever, who do you think is most chuffed with their progress in the gym? Uh, Ash Gardner for sure. Uh, even today, we had a day off today, but that includes a gym session, uh, which clearly all the Vicks have been doing way too much of in their pre-season. I see them lifting weights in there and uh, I'm gobsmacked by half of them, but uh, Ash Gardner for sure. She was walking around flexing her biceps the whole time. So um, even when she came out in the game the other day and said she towed those balls for six um, means that she's definitely been in the gym. So she must be able to hit them 150 metres now instead of 120. Brilliant. And just looking back over the last five days or so, first series back after a long break, how was it just getting back out there? Tiring. I'll, I'll give you that insight, but uh, it was good fun to get it back out there and play cricket. You can hit a thousand and one balls in the nets and, and think you're flying, but then step out in the middle of the 
ground and um, it's a whole nother ball game. So it was great to get back out there. Obviously, some really tough opposition. The Kiwis came out firing as well. So it's um, it's been good fun, but yeah, quite fatiguing, I think, especially um, six months off and then bang two games on the trot. Um, there's a few tired bodies around on Sunday afternoon, but well, we can't complain. We're out there playing cricket. So it's, um, yeah, it's pretty fun. And Ash Gardner, she was named player of the series. That knock in the first T20, it seemed like one of her more mature knocks. You've obviously spent all winter with her. How do you think she's developed as a player and also as a person? Yeah, I think that's been one of the most pleasing things for me to see um, as just a mate of Ash is how much she's matured over the last, I think, 18 months, two years. And I I think we can see that in her cricket. Um, We can see her grab the opportunity with the ball when she gets it and we can see what she can do with the bat. We've we've always known what she could do um, and how damaging a player she was, but she seems to be able to come out and play some really crucial knocks for us um, in crucial times. So, yeah, it's great to see her take those opportunities. She's um, she's really thinking about her cricket at the moment and, and wanting to improve herself, um, which is really exciting. And I'm looking forward to seeing what she can do during the WBBL. And um, she's got even more responsibility within that Sixers side. And I think, um, yeah, it's going to be really exciting, Ashley Gardner, to watch. Yeah, that must be really exciting for you as a, a fellow Sixers player to see what she's doing at the moment. Yeah, it is. It's good. I think Ash and I play similar roles um, within that Sixers side of going out there and taking the opposition on and trying to break the game open. So, you know, if it's not my day out there, I know that Ash has got my back at the minute with the way that she's striking the ball. So um, it takes a little bit of pressure off myself, but I'm excited to hopefully either stand at the other end and watch it or stand in the dugout and um, scamper away from all the balls that that are going to come my way. But um, she's a, a great player to watch when she's in full flight and um, hopefully she can do it for the magenta this year. And between WBBL, World Cup, everything, you guys have played so much T20 cricket over the last year. You haven't played an ODI in almost 12 months. Are you excited to get back to that format? I am actually. I, um, I said that throughout this week that a lot of the sort of technical changes that I feel like I've made in my game are, are really suited to the one-day format and suited to batting long periods of time. So having to go out there and, and not slog from ball one, I'm actually looking forward to. Um, look, they might not pay off, but... I'm looking forward to going out there and hopefully just batting and batting for an extended period of time. Um, naturally, I'm quite aggressive, so it might not happen. I might actually just play a rash shot, but in saying that, um, giving yourself a little bit of extra time to go out there and make some runs, I think I'm really looking forward to. And obviously there's more time to prepare for that World Cup in New Zealand with the postponement. What was um, what were your initial thoughts when you first heard that that tournament had been pushed back? Yeah, I'm a little di- disappointed. I think... Um, you know, I was really looking forward to that. We were really building towards that, and but we we can't do anything about it. COVID came out of nowhere, seemingly, and has done that to a lot of different sports all around the world. So we can't really complain too much. And to make sure that every team gets the appropriate amount of preparation leading into that, uh, a huge 50 over World Cup, I think, is important. So naturally, the postponement is going to happen. It makes 2022 ridiculously um sorry look ridiculous with all the scheduling I think um it's going to be a headache for all uh the organizations around the world and the ICC to make sure that everybody is able to take part in whatever they can um but look that's the way it's going to be and it just gives us an extra 12 months to prepare for um a really big world cup that we really want to get our hands on and does it take you on the team long to click back into 50 over mode i think from memory you scored a ton in your last odi also at ab field well i didn't know that that was that was uh, 12 months ago you just told me so um 
Oh, I don't think so. I think it's a format that we really love. It's obviously a the longest format that we really play outside of that Ashes test. So um, for us, it's one that we really enjoy and people just seem to settle into their roles again. I think the Kiwis are going to be a really tough side to beat in this 50-over series. I think they've shown that throughout this T20 series that they've got some players in form and players that want to bat for a long period of time or, um, you know, bowl their turnovers and take take many polls. So it's it's going to be a cracking series to be a part of and a, and a really good one to watch. But I don't think it'll take us long to click, click back into gear. I think we've got one full training session um, tomorrow, which is Friday before the game. And, um, yeah, we'll just... I guess, prepare as best we can and go out there on Saturday and just enjoy the fact that we're, we're playing that longer format. That Rose Bowl trophy has been in Aussie possession for a very long time now. How important is it to you guys that it stays there? Hugely important. It's just become one of those things now that you don't want to be the side to let it go. So uh, I know I heard Meg say that she doesn't want to be the captain that um, lets the Rose Bowl slide. So we're, we're also feeling that as a side. We don't want to be that team. I remember... Um, not being able to win a T20 game against the Kiwis all those years ago. And now that we've we've sort of got on a roll there, we don't want to let that go either. So the Rose Bowl is even more important. And I guess the way that cricket is and the world is at the moment, there's potential that we could be playing the Kiwis quite regularly. So um, that Rose Bowl series might pop up uh, more often than not. So the opportunity for us to play one day cricket and, and play bulk matches of that leading into a World Cup is is crucial. But um, yeah, we definitely don't want to let go of that trophy. It's an important one in the cupboard. There's been a bit of talk about the fact you guys have won 18 ODIs in a row now and there's a chance to equal the record of Ricky Ponting's team back in 2003. Is that something the team's talked about at all? Not really, to be honest. We That's not really something we look at. It's obviously a nice one. Nobody had any idea about that T20 um, series record. Uh, until after the game, I saw your tweet, LJ, actually, and um, put it on the group chat to to make sure everyone knew about it and celebrated that because it's something that it's incredibly special. But it's obviously there; it's present on social media. We read about it all the time, but it's not something that the group talks about. We want to go out there and win every game we can for our country. It's not like we're playing heaps of games for Australia at the minute, so we just want to make sure that we're maximising our opportunities and winning as much as we can. And we've heard you speak a little bit about um, some experimentation you've been doing in the nets. Is there a chance that we'll see any scoop shots come out in the ODI series? <laughs> yeah, geez, uh, cricket.com.au gave away the um, the secrets straight away after that, didn't they? But um, no, nah, I'm, I'm not too sure. I think, honestly, it, it was something that I toyed around with in that preseason just to give me something to do. Um, you always want to be improving your game and, to have a few little extra strings to your bow, I think is really important. Um, everybody knows each each one another's games inside out, especially going into WBBL. So if there's something that you could sort of just add in there just to make them think a little bit, um, then so be it. But look, I've been working really hard on a few different shots, the scoop being one of them. And um, yeah, Molly Strano has um, been a great one in the nets to, to play that against. So look, if it comes out, it comes out. But ultimately my gameplay game plan number a is to hit down the ground and you'll hopefully see me do that first and if I can get a little funky towards the end then so be it I don't know if you've seen the uh the logo for our podcast but that was actually based on a photo of you in the nets playing the scoop the other week up in Brissy so well, there you go there one you of go. the one of the couple that I actually middled that day I'm pretty sure I missed all of them <laughs> um, another thing we saw some photos of of you in the nets was you having a bit of a bowl um what do you send down to the uh the batters when you get the ball in hand 
whatever they need. Uh, LJ, I'm uh, very adaptable. I grew up bowling little dibbly dobbly medium paces as much as I wanted to be a fast bowler, but I, I can do that. But took its toll a little bit on the, on the body early on during quarantine bowling that. So I resorted to spin towards the back end um, and just bowled these round the wicket darts in at Annabelle Sutherland's heels that she couldn't do anything about because I've been bowling to all the sloggers throughout pre-season in Sammy Joe Johnson um, to name one um, and Ash as well. So it's trying to limit the debt limit the damage of my bowling and limit the balls that are coming back at me. So if I've got a little plan there, I put that in place and um, just try and target their heels. So look, I feel like I'm ready to go in international cricket if need be. I heard there's a, um, that's an effective plan to a couple of the Kiwi batters. So I've put my hand up. Uh, Moons is there at the ready to take the gloves if need be, but uh, my bowling lines are up there. So I'm, I'm ready to bowl in, in cricket if need be. Awesome. Hopefully Meg throws you the ball in the ODIs. <laughs> <laughs> and we saw in the T20s a few instances where perhaps the DRS system could have come in handy. The Windies in England just had DRS system for the first time. Do you think it's time that the reviews maybe became a bit more commonplace across women's international cricket? Uh, yeah, look, definitely. I think it's it's worth a shout. I think there's obviously a cost involved to it. Um, the broadcasters have to um, be okay with it as well. So there's obviously external factors at play there. But as a player, I think why not? Um, you know, if the games are going to be televised, then um, why wouldn't we have the opportunity to, to have that system in place? Um, yeah, it'd definitely make it more interesting. It has a few extra little talking points to it. So um, it has been good fun using it over the, the last couple of World Cups. So, you know, it'd be great to have it in play, but I can understand why sometimes it's not. Pretty relevant for you, Midge, particularly for WBBL. Um, how's Pez's hammy going and do you expect her to be there for that first Sydney smash on October 25? Um, yeah, look, it, it's an interesting point of discussion. I'm not 100% certain. Um, it scared me the other day when, when Meg came out and said that she's potentially in doubt for the start of WBBL. I was frantically on the phone to Ben Sawyer being like, what's going on? Like, do you need me to captain again? What's happening? Um, but I think all intentions is that she should hopefully be right for that. I'm not too sure. I can't go in the ins and outs of the injury. I don't really know, but all I know is that she's preparing really well up here. Um, it looks like she's um, ready to play. I haven't seen her running around in the field. And I think the sort of the unknown nature of the fielding side of cricket and, you know, having to throw your body around is potentially what's holding her back at the minute. But she seems like she's bowling and batting all right. So I'm hoping she's available. I think, um, you know, it would be such a shame that she's not there for that first game. But she's got to obviously tick off all those little areas to get back in play. So we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, we've seen Pez... Um, plenty of times pushing herself to the limit. Obviously, we saw in the WBBL last year, she stayed on the field after that shoulder injury. She played through quite a few issues in the World Cup. Do you think, uh, like, perhaps that sometimes she pushes it too far? Um, oh, I think that's probably part and parcel of being an athlete. You want to be out there. You want to be performing and competing for your team no matter what the situation. So, um I'm, I'm not necessarily, I don't necessarily think that it's ever been pushed too far. I think I've, I've probably been vocal in that game against New Zealand. Potentially she might, maybe should not have played. Um, but in saying that, I don't really know what two extra days might have done for a hamstring. So she, maybe she may as well have played and um, just tried to, to manage it as best she could. But look, I'm a firm believer that everything happens for a reason. And, um, you know, maybe this sort of incident as horrible as it was, um, you know, has enabled another strength to her game or, or even enabled her a little bit of downtime that maybe she needed after a really busy schedule. So 
Uh, I'm not too sure what that might be. We'll have to wait and see. But um, look, I think she's just the ultimate competitor and you want her out there performing at her best. So hopefully we see that in the coming months. And um, speaking of downtime, I think you guys probably have a bit more than usual or it's a bit different being in the bubble. How have you found that as a, compared to the type of tour you'd normally have at home? Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting one because I think downtime, you, you are getting downtime, but it's very different to what you're used to. I think for me, my downtime involves time away from cricket. And at the moment in this hub sort of life that we're living, you actually never get away from cricket. You're seeing the same people uh, every day. Even if you go for a walk, you're still bumping into New Zealand players or you're bumping into your own players because there's only so far that you can really walk. So it's... um. Yeah, it's, it is a weird one. It's going to be a really difficult balance, I think, in particular for the domestic players coming into a hub situation for WBBL. I actually think that the Sydney teams are going to struggle the most, uh, being so close to home and not being able to go home. I think that's a really, it's a really hard one to deal with. But um, look, I think it's going to be a really enjoyable environment. I think eight teams all together in a sort of village sort of set up, I think, um, you know, could breed some really interesting um, times and some really fun times as well. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that but yeah I think downtime is incredibly hard to find and to hard to get um, especially in the modern environment I think everybody assumes you're not doing anything so you can jump on a zoom call or, or fill out an email or do a survey or um, something related to cricket so getting away from it is is incredibly difficult but you know each and every individual is going to have to find their way to to switch off at some point. I think we've heard Mitch is coming to join you tomorrow do the rules prevent you guys going for a hit of golf and will you get at least a bit of time together after this ends before you go into that WBBL bubble? Yeah, we, uh, we can't go to golf uh, here. I think that's uh, in the too hard basket. It takes too much planning to get us out. So um, uh, but we're just going to enjoy some time together. I think uh, post this series, we'll probably head home now that uh, the New South Wales, South Australian border is open um, and Mitch is going to have to go play shield cricket towards the end of this month. So with that border opening up, it kind of allows us to go home. Otherwise, we're going to have to stay up here for the two, two and a half weeks leading into Big Bash um, and then go our separate ways. So we're just going to enjoy some time together, um, hopefully at home that um, we probably won't be able to do throughout the majority of the summer with him going in and out of hubs and, and same as me. So, yeah, we're looking forward to that, looking forward to going home and playing some golf and doing some normal people things again for at least for one or two weeks. Take what you can get, hey? Uh, well, yeah. Elisa, thank you so much for joining us on the second episode of The Scoop. It was our pleasure to have you on and we wish you all the very best for the upcoming ODIs against the White Ferns. Thanks, ladies. Thanks for having me. We are absolutely pumped to be welcoming Kristen Beams onto the show. So Beamsy is a former Aussie leg spinner who played 49 matches for her country. She's now a board director of the ACA as well as a commentator for ABC Grandstand. And she's here to provide some expert analysis as we look ahead to the ODI series. Beamsy, welcome to The Scoop. Well, thanks for having me. I've heard a lot about this podcast, so I'm glad that I've got a gig early on. <laughs> awesome. We're going to speak a bit about the ODI series that's coming up. Australia's been on a 20-year winning streak in the Rose Bowl, which is pretty incredible. What do you think New Zealand need to do to end this this winning run? Oh, it's it's a tough one. I mean, the series means so much to to both sides, and I I remember playing in the Rose Bowl, and it, and it's just this real recognition from the Australian team of like, don't lose it because we've held this for so long, and I just think it it for Australia, it's 
it means so much. And for New Zealand, it's it's going to take some winning. Um, but I think there were some good signs out of the T20 series that suggest that they're getting better and better New Zealand in this series. I think Amy Satterthwaite um, is getting better for every innings. I think she's going to be really key coming back into this side. And the emergence of Amelia Kerr as an all-rounder, I think she's going to have a big impact if New Zealand are going to go any way to winning this ODI series. And how important do you think that last T20 win from the White Ferns will be for their confidence after losing 13 straight games to the Aussies? Oh, I think it's massive. And I think for a fan just watching the, the first two games, you're sort of watching it and going, oh, this is really good because we're Australian and we're like, this is great, we're winning. And it it just seemed like it was just going to keep rolling on. But I think, you know, in that last T20, they they made some good decisions. I think Katie Martin coming in at five, she seems to be giving them lots of energy in that batting innings. Every time she comes out, it just seems like there's something that's going to happen. So I really liked seeing her at five, but it's going to be a little bit about, you know, I think Sophie Devine actually having the freedom to just play. It, It seems like, She's a little bit tentative at the top of the order. And the difference for me was just Australia played with more freedom, um, I think, during during those games. But momentum's everything in cricket. You win the last T20. Can you take that into the first ODI? And then all of a sudden, we've got a real, really good series on our hands. There's a bit of history on offer for Australia in this series. They've won 18 one-day internationals in a row, which is a new record for Australian women. They now have a chance to equal the record for the blokes with Vicky Pony's team from 2003. Where do you think this current group ranks among the all-time best teams you've seen? Oh, wow. Uh, very highly. I think um, when, you, when you think about how successful they've been with lots of change as well, I think there's been different players that have come in and out of the team. I, I mean, you look back to, I guess, Belinda Clark's era and say, well, that was, that was one of the greatest teams of all time, um, in my opinion. But I, I think what I like about this Australian team is that there's been some really nice evolution with younger players coming in and seeing younger players dominate. I think it just shows that there's no real ceiling for this current team. So they're having really amazing success and they can break a record, but they've still got players who are in their early 20s in that team who are going to take this team forward over the next sort of five to 10 years. And I think that's the part that's really scary for every other country. We saw Ash Gardner go nuts in the T20 series and really make it her own. Who are you tipping to stand up in the ODIs and make a big impact? The Aussies. Oh, oh great question. Um, I actually think Annabelle Sutherland um, will come into the team. I, I think she gives a great pace option uh, with Elise Perry being ruled out. Um, but she's also a great all-rounder. So she's the one for me that I think could come in and have instant impact within the team. And um, I suppose the other one that I, I guess I always think about is the is the skipper in Meg Lanning. I think when, when Meg doesn't score as many runs as what she would like, I always, as a teammate, I always felt like, oh my goodness, I don't want to bowl to her in the nets because she's absolutely going to pogo me. She hates not scoring runs. And I, I think look out New Zealand because I think she's going to have a massive ODI series and, and really cement herself as, as one of, if not the best batter in the world. I think we did see a pretty angry Meg after her dismissal in the thirteen twenty. So you're probably right there. Um, you mentioned Sutherland potentially coming in. Australia made no changes in the T20s. Do you think we'll see a bit more shifting and chopping and changing across three ODIs? I don't. I don't think we'll see a lot of it, and I can sort of see both sides. To be honest, as a as a player, you say let's not change the team. You know, why would why are we changing the team when it's winning? I think you'd never want to see yourself out of the team if you're actually playing well. 
that you look at it from a future point of view or a fan point of view and say, well, it'd be great to see, you know, every time the camera pans around and you're, you're seeing the likes of Bakariwa, Strano, Sullen, Maitland Brown, Aaron Burns sitting on the bench, you sort of think, actually, it's not gifting a game to give any of those girls an opportunity. So I, I think they'll look at sort of one or two changes. I think Sutherland definitely um, will potentially come in. I'd like to see Bakariwa get an opportunity as well from a pace point of view. I think she's she's dominated domestic cricket over, the, I guess, the last couple of years. So I think maybe the pace options might come in, um, but I think it's more going to be about if any players need to be rested or injuries rather than actually making changes. And I, I think every player would be pretty happy with that. And Georgia Wareham looks like she's put in a lot of work over the off-season. She played a huge role in the T20s, taking five wickets across the series. Did you notice anything different to the last summer? Not a lot different. It just looks like she's bowled a lot. I think the the wrong and seems to be more consistent for her. And I think that's a big weapon when you think about both of the leg spinners for, for either team. The, the fact the ball can go the other way all of a sudden makes it really challenging for batters. And I think with a four out field, I think they're really hard to, to score off. So they've got that ability to take wickets, but, but also go at those low economy rates. But I think Wolfie's look really good. She looked really consistent and Sometimes a, a break is a good thing. You know, they've, they've been playing a lot of cricket. So, you know, maybe the lockdown of Melbourne was a, a really good thing for Wolf and just went about the business. But she looks really, really good. Is there anything else you'd like to see her add to her armour? Uh, oh, maybe a bit more around the celebrations. I, I think she's a really she's a really calm and, and sort of quiet character. But uh, look, I, I love to see leg spinners get up and about. I think it's a tough art. And when you finally pick up a pole you want to make sure that you you make the most of it but uh, yeah maybe a bit on the celebration front but there's I'd say there's a few girls in the same category I'd like to see Nick Carey uh, celebrate a little bit more as well so there's a few of them in that boat. And speaking of the leggies um, you mentioned Millie Kerr how important do you see her being in this series and especially with the, a batting lineup like Australia's? Oh she's massive I, I think she is becoming more and more mature around her decision making I think when when she first sort of come in, she sort of overused the wrong and a little bit for me. She just wanted to use it all the time. It was like this great trick and she was she was using it a lot. I think she's making better tactical decisions around the use of that wrong and. Um, so now it becomes a weapon that's going to be really destructive against Australia rather than Australia sort of walking out and going, okay, well, I'm going to get the wrong and first ball um, and being able to play that. But, I, you know, I think she's, she's massive not only from a bowling point of view but a, a batting point of view as well. But... I think they're a spinner short. They know they're a spinner short um, with no Kasperic uh, and Peterson around. So she's going to have to do the majority of the work with some some part-time spin options with probably Maddie Green and, and Amy Satterthwaite maybe rolling the arm over as well. So she's going to have to be the number one spinner in comparison to Australia who they don't have to have a number one spinner. They've got so many spin options. It's sort of whatever happens on the day. It has been a bit of an interesting one seeing uh, that Lee hasn't been able to get her way back from Scotland for this series. Um, but speaking of another spinner, you gave Molly her T20 cap back in 2017 and I remember it being quite an emotional moment. Obviously, if she makes an ODI debut this time around, you won't be able to be there. But what would it mean to you to see her back in the Aussie 11? Well, I'll cry like a baby. Um, but in my defence, she was there when I made my test debut and she cried like a baby when she was there. But, um, yeah, I think for, for Molly, she's one of the most hardworking domestic cricketers that's played. And, you know, if you look at the stats and the numbers, it seems hard to believe that she hasn't made her ODI debut. She's been so good for such a long period of time. And to have seen her from a 16-year-old 
um, and her development and, and how she's gone about it. She's, she is like a little sister to me. And I, I think she's earned the right um, to play ODI cricket. I think everyone knows what she can do. She just hasn't necessarily had that opportunity internationally, but I think she's good enough to slot into this lineup and, and do a great job. And I, uh, I and a few other people, I'm sure, will all have their fingers crossed and hope that happens. Yeah, I think for the fans, they mostly know what she does in T20 cricket. They like see her topping the wickets tally in the BBL all the time. Um, what is it about her game that's also suited to the 50-over format? I think she can bowl in every phase. And I think for any captain, that's the magic. When you know that someone can actually bowl in your power play, they can do a different role for you in the middle and then play a different role for you at the back end. I think that's that's exactly what you want for, for your spinners. I think traditionally we always talk about spinners and you say, oh, they're really good in the middle and, and that's what they do in 50 over cricket. I, I think she can play any role. And so the, the diversity is what makes her a really good. And she's a, she's a great competitive player. And I think you want those players on your team that sort of feel like they just, they just give you a bit of grunt. And, and she's done that for Victoria for such a long period of time. When you need a wicket and you need something to happen, Molly Strano bowls. And I think she can play that role for Australia as well. And last question for you, Beamsy, your final predictions for the Rose Bowl series. Um, well, Australia will win, obviously. We never lose the Rose Bowl. It means so much to us. But I think I, I think New Zealand will, will sort of scratch out one more win, uh, whether it's this first one or not. But I, I'd expect Australia to dominate. Um, and I would expect that their batting lineup is, is probably going to be the difference. I think they're going to play with great freedom. Um, and, and I'd like to see some hundreds in there. But what's going to stand in their way is, is probably Amelia Kerr and how good a ODI series she could have. All righty. Beamsy, thank you so much for joining us on The Scoop. It's been a pleasure to have you and listen to your wonderful insights. And hopefully we'll chat to you again soon after the Aussies secure the Rose Bowl. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for joining us on The Scoop. Make sure you tune into the Rose Bowl series starting on October 3rd with live coverage on Channel 7, Fox Cricket, KO and ABC Grandstand. And you can keep up to date with all the latest news on cricket.com.au and across social media via cricket.com.au and the Australian women's team accounts. We'll be back next week to chat about all the action from the One Dayers. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.